I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Liz on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. You seem a little confused on that score. Yeah, that threw me off. I don't know why. Huh. I couldn't remember. <laughs> like if I had, I felt like I was saying something wrong in the wrong order. Well, this is this wouldn't be the first time in our 198 episodes. That's 198 uh, episodes uh, that you've had a case of mistaken identity or some sort of mental crisis or for some reason needed to talk in a weird accent for the entire show. Ah, oh, man. Those were the days. We should do accents more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we should talk about death more, too, but somebody keeps saying no to both ideas. Oh, you find a way anyway. Uh, I don't say no to the accents. You've said no before. You've discouraged. I mean, you haven't said Yes. I should say yes more to things. I should say yes to life, Ben. Probably. Yes. This is a good intro. It's happy Friday as we record this. Happy Monday as you listen to this. Uh, and we are, this is actually our last uh, recording in the office for a couple of weeks, probably. Because mm. um, uh, this is also, we are on the eve of TCAs, uh, which I know you guys all love hearing about in depth um, with lots of details, which we never provide on this podcast. I mean, it just, it comes back, guys. It just, it's always looming, or we're in the middle of it, or we just got out of it, but that's life. TCAs are life, and we're about to start life again. At least it's in Pasadena. You like Pasadena. I'm thrilled about this. I have, I love going to Pasadena. I enjoy the TCAs quite a bit in general because, you know, they're fun. There's like a bunch of goofballs who show up, and then also celebrities, so... (laughs) Uh, the, the goofballs in the in the crowd are really what makes it worth it. Yeah, I can't wait for Dan Feinberg's, like, um, I feel bad that nobody's asking enough questions to this really obscure panel question and answer session. Like, he does such a good job of popping in and, and like, kind of bringing out the joy in whatever the fuck is being, you know, they're trying to sell to us on stage. Yeah. So, um, no, it's going to be it's going to be really fun. But um, I think I think what happened this week is that. um I think TNT just won, right, Liz? I mean, they did pretty good. Uh, there's just been there's been an onslaught. Um, unlike many marketing onslaughts that we've seen uh, for the new limited series, I Am the Night, TNT yeah. had, let's see, they had, what, three events over the past week? Yes. Like, there um, was a thing. What was the thing on Monday? I honestly don't know. There was a thing on Monday. There was a thing, though. And then you went to a thing on Wednesday. I went to what I was told after I arrived, which makes no sense to me, was a social media influencers event. Oh, no, you were around social media influencers? I mean, a lot of the people were just reporters, so... Well, technically, technically we're social media influencers. We have social media. I guess if they give me the IndieWire account, which I have access to, then yeah, I am. But otherwise, no. Um, (laughs) Then last night... and, and. Last night you went to this, so you can describe this a little bit better. But there was a very lavish, very hyped premiere party for I Am the Night, yes. uh, which was like the actual, like which which is what every show pretty much does. Like there's always a premiere; they always try to make it, you know, fairly notable so that people talk about it. Yeah. Um, and they they sold this one pretty heavy. Was it worth the hype, Liz? Yeah. Um. Actually, I mean, Gal Gadot showed up. 
she was there somewhere. I did not see her. That's that's pretty great. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely felt in the presence of greatness. Um, and I you know it was actually a really, it was uh, one of my favorite per, uh, games to play at a premiere is who is the most random person here? There were a number of notable candidates. Oh, interesting. Lots of, uh, well, just like lots of friends of friends, like Kenya Barris. Sure. Great. Yeah. Um, but we should probably tell Why? people what. What? Why was he there? I'm actually not sure. I think it was like he's friends with somebody who works on the show. He's like, he's on Blackish. He's now with Netflix. This is TNT. I'm very confused, but okay. Yeah. Cool. I think um, he's his friends. But, uh, no, you're right. We should explain. I Am the Night is a new uh, TNT limited series, um, kind of about the Black Dahlia murders, kind of not. Um, basically, they're, I think it's based on the diaries of Fauna Hodel. The official screen credit I saw last night was based on the life of Fauna Hodel. Great, that's yeah. better. Great, <laughs> but I, I feel like I, um, I, I I remember that because I was like, that's that's weird. Like yeah. normally you have like a printed piece of it. Like usually when you're doing like some sort of biography or you have like, you know, you have like basically a, a book you're optioning. In this case, they just optioned the life rights. Yeah, and I I don't know how familiar people are with Fauna Hodel, and honestly, it works to your your benefit if you're not that familiar with I the mean, character. I mean, who is I, I have. I didn't even realize that she was someone I should be familiar with. Good, yeah. I think you're you're much better off the less research you do and watching this uh, this new limited series. But the reason people know about it and the reason that TNT made such a big deal about it is because this is the Patty Jenkins Chris Pine reunion series. Like, yes. This is what they did for television after they done after they done Wonder Woman after I think before as they were doing Wonder Woman 1984 I believe it weird, was they shot it in between yeah, like I think a that's weird what timeline the thing there the TNT lady said in the pre in the preamble that they basically and yeah it was apparently a situation where Patty Jenkins met met a young woman this young woman uh, who came to Los Angeles in the 50s or 60s I know it starts in the 50s and 60s. I, Ben's going to check the exact year that this, sh- this show I think it bounces between the 40s and 60s, so yeah, that would be about right. Yeah, okay. And anyway, so about this young woman who comes to Los Angeles and kind of gets caught up in some of the weird shit that was going on in Los Angeles during that period of time. And because, like, if you've, you know, read anything about, say, Jack Parsons or, you know, other luminaries of the Los Angeles social scene, they they got up to some stuff. There was, there was some crazy sex cult shenanigans happening back then uh so anyways uh yeah so basically like patty jenkins heard this story she about about this young woman uh who got caught up in this crazy world uh she told chris pine about it and chris pine was like that sounds cool i want to be a part of that i want to i want to help you make this and then they brought it to tnt and tnt was like we will 100 percent accept this uh accept this tv show you have brought to us um and my favorite part, and so yeah, Chris Pine and Patty Jenkins made a TV show, and that's kind that's pretty a pretty big deal, all things considered. And uh, they are not even done with their promo tour; like they had the premiere last night as we record this. At some point in the next couple of days, they're going to be in Sundance um, talking yep. about the show, uh, and then they are doing a TCA panel uh, in early February. Yep. So. No shortage of I Am The Night coverage coming up. And, uh, you know, unless we forget what all this is for, I'm sure they will return to the circuit once Emmy season arrives for oh, multiple panels and uh, events and reminders, especially if uh, TNT's push around the alienist is any indication what kind of push they'll give oh, to they, this. They, yeah. 
Um, so because this was set, it, it, you, you, Ben, you asked me to talk a little bit about the premiere party because it was pretty hyped. And yeah, uh, so the, the actual screening was held at a theater down the way. It's a privately owned uh, movie theater that they use for a lot of these things. And then, uh, but the party uh, was about a half mile away at the Chateau Marmont, a famous Los Angeles location, uh, and very, with like a beautiful Spanish style old school architecture that perfectly fit with the crazy contortionists and uh, dancers and circus people and so forth that were uh, th- scattered throughout the uh, courtyard and assort- assorted areas. Yeah, they had um, the the social media influencers event was at the um, actual guy's house. Yeah, so so George Hodel's old mansion, which is now turned into like a an event space of sorts because it's got this kind of very notable, very um, uh, recognizable pool patio area where like there's this. Uh, I don't know. It looks kind of like a pyramid kind of thing to me in the background. Okay. Uh, they use it in all of the promos now, did, for the show. Did they actually shoot the show at the house? Yeah, they shot the show there too. Wow. Um, That's some like, Gianni Versace level. And, and Pine and Jenkins and everybody talked about how creepy it was to shoot there because of you know all the, the history tied to it. Sure. Um, but it's weird because it's like right off Franklin um, in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Like it's just right on the street there. Like it's not kind of secluded like you'd kind of imagine it being like up in the hills tucked away but yeah there's a um, long driveway yeah so it's it's a little bit creepy um but no i think i think the reason that we want to talk about this is uh i mean yeah it's on our minds tnt won in that way like they've they've definitely you know convinced us to to give this thing a little bit of thought and consideration and and kept it at the forefront um but i almost want to talk about it in the inverse in that um it's uh, it is it is it's exciting, and I don't want to downplay the idea that Chris Pine and Patty Jenkins made a TV show because that's great. But I also I, I don't think it is a big deal anymore. I think that that um, that the idea that they would come to television after making successful movies is just like sure, like you know everybody does. Like TV is yeah. a great space. You've got great stories. Like come do it. Don't don't think of it as like a special little treat where they're dropping into TV for a minute. And then they'll go back to their, you know, their ivory tower of films. Um, it's 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 something where we need to hold them to the same standards that the film world does. And um, I will say that I that I am the night is not it's not that good. It's not like a holy shit. Let's stop everything and start talking about I am the night. Right. Um, Even though that literally is our podcast, as we're just talking about I am the night today. It is, yeah. Because I mean, well, yeah. you know, why not? Uh, but. I will say that Chris Pine is extraordinary in it. Like Chris Chris Pine is the reason to watch the show. Yeah. And uh, six hours of Chris Pine, no matter the context, is probably better than two hours of Chris Pine, no matter what. Um, so again, I just uh, I just want to say, let's not make too big of a deal of it, but let's make a big deal about Chris Pine. Well. Because I was about to say, Ben, I know you're saying that it's not a special treat for uh, for Patty Jenkins and Chris Pine to come make a TV show, but what if that special treat comes in the form of a snack? Snack? That's a new slang term people are using to call people attractive. I don't get it. I don't know, because they're tasty and delicious. That Chris Pine is a snack. But he's like, wouldn't he be like a full meal? Like, he's great. 
Like everything just, about him's great. I'm just trying to keep up with the lingo of the kids today. I don't get it. I, he is a full meal, but he's also a snack. I don't understand. That it, you're not isn't hip with the kids a, like I am. Isn't he still a snack if he's in a movie? Well, I think probably actually he's more of a snack in a movie because you get less of him. Yeah. Like he's not in a t- he's not the star of Wonder Woman. So like films give you a Chris Pine as a snack, and TV gives you Chris Pine as a meal. Yes. So Chris Pine in the show. Uh, so I actually think, by the way, that the actress who plays uh, Fauna is actually very good. Yeah, she's solid. Yeah. So I, I, I don't. We, we, to celebrate Chris Pine, we do not mean to denigrate anyone else in the show. India Isley is is good. She's but the the interesting thing about it is, um, it's almost like. Uh, She's she's playing Fauna Hodel, so she's playing like a real person, right. and she's somebody who like the story is kind of centered around, um, in that um, she comes to Los Angeles to try to find her birth parents because she was adopted and she wants to understand her background, and um, that kind of kicks off the story. But um, but her performance is very much grounded in this in this in these single notes like there's there's not a lot of range because she's going through something that's very serious and keeps her very focused yeah and she's very good at kind of adding you know minute layers to that like to to exploring kind of you know without going too big too early without you know uh, underselling the importance of certain things without dipping too far into the melodrama but also like really kind of letting her co-stars uh take full advantage like that that early scene with her her uh, adopted mother who like explain like drops all this heavy exposition mm-hmm. about uh where she came from and what she wants to tell her like that actress whose name is escaping me at the moment is fantastic in that scene like she just right. chews up that scenery so well and and indy isley lets her do that and then she also can hold your attention while she's going through a lot of the the motions of the of the show but what I like about it is that this lets Chris Pine just go from, like, fucking zero to 100, <laughs> like, at the drop of a hat because she's right there to hold it all together. His, yeah, his, guys, it, it really, like, he manages to do things like make, like running on the beach look like the the craziest, funniest stuff. Like, and it's actually, it, you. I feel like The Alienist is coming up a lot in comparison to this show just because they're both period dramas, murder released in January that sort of thing Uh, TNT limited series period drama um, circling around kind of a a murder mystery subject and while The Alienist was something that like took itself oh so seriously Mm -hmm. I feel like I Am the Night I Am the Night is a hell of a lot of fun it's pulpy like it's I think it does take itself seriously and I think it it wants to be taken more seriously than necessarily it should be to maximize your enjoyment of it. Right. Um, but holy shit, I mean, Pine just... He's so fun. He's fun. Can I tell you my, my, my personal theory about, and you can tell me how close I am uh, to how they created his character? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he plays a basically a private investigator slash freelance journalist slash former Marine slash a lot of other things. He's basically, yeah, he's basically, he's not... A private investigator. He right. is just a freelance journalist who gets assigned some dicey shit. Gotcha. Okay. It wasn't totally clear from the setup. No, I understand. Yeah. But my personal theory is, uh, so he's a completely fictional character. Not He just right. gets, he's brought into the story. So my personal feeling is that, like, so Patty and Chris are sitting down, like, they're getting, they're like, they're having a nice dinner, like, a couple of weeks after they wrapped, uh, you know, after the wrap production on Wonder Woman. 
and just catching up. And then she tells him the story. And he's like, "Yeah, I love it. I want to be a part of it. Oh God, I gotta be in. It. I gotta be in it. But we, I, I, we should make up a character for me. Like, oh, I should be on drugs. I should be like a crazy private investigator, like Danny DeVito in LA Confidential. But like, you know." I'm not gonna gain the weight, but I'm gonna. I'll wear. I'll keep my shirt off a lot because I know the ladies like that. By the way, he keeps his shirt off a lot. The ladies like it. Um, I, I gotta have tattoos, man. I gotta have some crazy tattoos because I'm a former marine. That's right. Yeah, but I'm also one, on drugs. One tattoo. He has no. He has multiple tattoos. What's the other one? It's, there's one on his chest and there's yeah. one on his arm. Mm, I don't remember. The I was paying one. attention. Hmm. It's on a big screen. Maybe you couldn't see it because it was on. You were watching. Oh, I saw on, the premiere on at AFI, so I saw it on the big screen too. But that was a while ago. Yes. Yeah, he has multiple tattoos. Right. But I, lo- oh, I, I love the I idea. Wanna... I lo- but you can hear what you, you understand what I'm saying. Like this was yeah. he feels like a character kind of created out of an actor spitballing about all the crazy shit he'd like to do on screen. But it works. It actually works pretty compellingly because I think he does like the character does feel like someone fully realized to a degree. Yeah, and honestly, this is what this is what I talk to him about most because um, there's a moment I can't you in there's a moment in one of the later episodes where he does something that is um, unexpected. Right. And when I, I I just Googled this thing that he does, and I was just like, what is this? Like, where is this? Like, I, I need, like, an example of something to compare this to. And it turns out, like, the first Google example brings it back to his PTSD, which is what the character suffers from, uh, you know, because he's a war veteran, and it's something that, that keeps recurring in the show is is how difficult it is for him to adjust back to society after going to Korea. And um, when I talked to him and, and Patty Jenkins about it, and I'm going to talk to the writers soon, um, they talked kind of about how some of it was definitely grounded in that idea where a lot of his kind of eccentricities and, and extreme reactions to stuff would be based in kind of um, how how hard it was to adjust and, 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 you know, how these people would, how these veterans would behave when they came back because they just, they, they, they didn't know, they didn't have that, uh, that small range anymore. They weren't used to polite society. They weren't, um, accustomed. They were, they were coping with a lot of things, you know, they were on drugs, but it was mainly just to keep them like at an even keel. Um, uh, you know, they drink, but it was just to kind of, you know, steady the nerves. Um, and then the other side of it was Pine readily admitted where it was he, he just kind of was like, I didn't have a lot of time on this. Like, we were making this pretty fast. I, you know, I read books. I talked to the writer. I did as much research as I could. But I also had to make a lot of choices just really quickly. And it turns out that this thing that he does was just random. Like, it was something that he pulled out of thin air in the middle of shooting it. And they kept it. And for whatever reason, it does actually tie back to the truth at the heart of his character. So I think that, that what's interesting about this Pine performance is that there's so much to it and there's so much fun and there's so much that you feel is just kind of like grabbed out of thin air by, you know, an actor just going for it. And some of it is, and then it all somehow also ties into just kind of this noir filmic uh, character trope that, that he built from because this guy is somebody who just feels like he was born of the era right and 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 you know is taking up all of those all of those uh beats from from other characters uh in in film and tv's past yeah well i mean i feel like we should it's worth mentioning like when he you say he pulled it out of thin air like 
I mean, and he probably feels like he pulled it out of thin air, but it's worth noting that Chris Pine is, from all accounts, a really smart guy who went to Berkeley, legitimately has like degree a degree in something very analytical. Uh, have I told you my my, my friend who uh, my, the story of my friend who interviewed him a while back for a profile for a yep. magazine? Yep. Uh, but quick version is uh, a gentle listener. I mean, I've told you. But anyways, point because we I don't think we've ever talked about Chris Pine on this podcast. If we have have if we haven't, that's a shame. Um, but anyways, short version. Publicist reached out to my friend uh, the night before the interview, as many publicists often do, basically saying like, hey, uh, do you have an angle? Do you know what your thesis is for this article? That sort of thing. And uh, my friend was like, you know, she kind of, it's kind of an annoying question to get from a publicist because, you know, oftentimes like you don't know really because you're waiting for the interview, but you do sometimes go in with an idea. So she was, she basically said like, you know, the concept of masculinity as it refers to, you know, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood protagonists in, in this, in this day and age. And so the next day my friend meets with Chris Pine and they sit down opposite each other. And he is like, so I heard about your thesis and I have some thoughts. And he just like immediately launched into a discussion of her topic that she'd not made up, but definitely like wasn't expecting him to be like immediately engaged with. Yes. Yeah, so I, I feel like I would be not surprised if, like, Chris Pine had, like, 10 years ago read a book that included this thing you're mentioning that you're not specifying. And then, like, it just kind of came to him out of the back of his mind from wherever memories come from uh, to do it. Well, no, that's kind of the point. Like, the, yeah. the point is that is that he, he did everything that he could, but the, the choices that he's making as an actor, and, then, and all good actors make these choices grounded in some sort of truth to their character. Like, they, they know right. who this person is on one level or another. And even though he's moving quickly, it's not something where it was like, this is in the script, or this is something we studied, or this is something that, like, that, you know, I thought about, you know, beforehand. It's something that... Uh, you know, he just felt was right for the moment because you have to make those choices as an actor, and it turned out to be like one of the most dead-on things you could possibly do to represent these people. When I feel like um, so, it's it's absolutely a tribute to his choices uh, and to his intelligence as a as a as a performer. But I think it also is something that speaks to why people should be interested in watching this show because you get to see somebody kind of go for it in a way where it's not just like, wow, they made a lot of fun, crazy choices and went all over the map. They made a lot of fun, exciting choices that are grounded in some sort of truth for what this guy's going through. Um, and again, like it's it's something where you watch Amy Adams and Sharp Objects right. and you're like, holy shit, like this is like, this is otherworldly like specified ingrained in this person level commitment like she is she is so far into this character of Celeste that that you know she probably it's it's got to be hard to come out of it it's gonna it's gonna leave some marks and um no pun intended a lot of yeah exactly no pun intended um but uh when you watch it you're you're just you're sucked into that kind of thing in a way that's really dramatic and really intense and really hard to shake and you know that show is 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 deep and rich and, and complex and rewards that kind of commitment. And um, 
I Am the Night, I feel, is almost, it's not the opposite of that. It's, it's very much trying to tell a story in the same vein, but uh, Pine's performance is something that's operating on um, like, like a, lot of, a lot of different wavelengths for what you can appreciate while you're watching it. Like he's, he's just, there's moments where it's just fun. There's moments where he just, he has, a, he has lines in here that are like straight out of, you know, the 40s. Like he, he talks about, um, I think he's, he's talking to a guy in a bar and the line is something like, um, are you feeling hoppy? Because, like, if, like, if you are froggy, we can go outside and, and just pick a lily pad. Like, he's got to say weird shit Oh, yeah, like that. I, that was in the, the premiere. It's in yeah. the first episode, yeah. yeah. And and it's like, he, there's a few of those where it's like, you know, of the times, cultural language, like, whatever, where it's like, this doesn't fit, but it works because he's 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 just kind of tossing it off. He's committed. And, um, and again, like, it's, it's something where it's not necessarily – he thought out every beat by beat. He got into like every specified layer. He like planned out and, and blocked out and, and mapped out every single choice he was going to make as he went through it. Like you feel Amy Adams could have while she was doing sharp objects. Um, but it works just as well because it's, it's, it's so lively and it's so fun to watch. And it's one of those things where um, I think the easy old slogan as i mentioned before we started podcasting is just like well he's a movie star like he's got that movie star quality where you just you just want to watch him and i i don't really like that because again i think it's it's not unique to movies i think it's something that you know there's plenty of people who pop out on tv and you're like man i just want to watch them um but that's that's what it is there's a very there's a watchability to this performance that um that he that he brings a lot to on through his choices so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, I think I think the the thing we were discussing was the idea of can I can is is it the actor is it is an actor like wa- watchable when he is someone that you could literally imagine just like watching a live feed of his life and enjoying it, or is someone watchable just like when they based on the way in which they can take material they're given and really transform it and really make it into something that they own. And I, I, I haven't, having not ever watched a live feed of Chris Pine, I can't say whether or not, like, he falls into the, you know, former category, but he definitely falls into the latter category. Like, he always gives an interesting performance. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I feel like there's probably a time when he didn't. But I'm, I'm struggling to think of it. Uh, you know what he's really good in? Is The Captains, uh, which is the documentary that William Shatner made a couple years ago many actually a couple years ago uh about where he basically just interviews every other actor who's ever played a starship captain in star trek and it's great it's worth tracking down because uh a lot of those a lot of the uh a lot of the actors he speaks with are you know pretty have pretty interesting relationships with star trek like kate mulgrew is just like i had never seen it i had no idea what this was and i it was complete nonsense to me for on some level uh, but he does interview Chris Pine as a, like, and there's this just, a, it's like a really good conversation between the two of them. It's like kind of, they play up like kind of the combative element. And it in fact it ends with them uh, engaging in a uh, arm wrestling match. Oh boy. Yeah. And also Chris Pine has a beard because he was shooting something that required him to have a beard. And it's great. It's just delightful. Sounds, uh, sounds like a snack. It was it was it was actually it was definitely a snack because he was uh, intercut with uh, Avery Brooks and uh, you know Scott Bakula and uh, Captain Picard. Great. 
Yeah. So many snacks. Yeah, all of them. Are, every one of them is a snack. I don't know if I'm using this right. You're doing great. Okay. You're, you're, I feel like you're going to ease into it. I don't think so. Look. I feel horribly awkward saying it. Look, if Andy Samberg could do it, you could do it. How is that true? I can't host the Golden Globes. Sure, sure you could. No. No, that would be a disaster. <laughs> I'd give myself a bad review. I mean, you'd be able to host the, the Oscars, though. Why? Because no one is? I mean... I mean, I'm, I'm still. I'm better than nobody. Yeah. I don't think that's true. Well, you're... I think you're better than nobody. Oh, I'd rather that's... see you watch. I'd rather see you host the Oscars than nobody host the Oscars. Though I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually okay with the no host idea. Like the SAGs got got by fine without hosts for a while. So. I mean, I just feel like it's it's just like you know, first they're like they're they're no hosts. There's no uh, there's they're like dropping the number of musical numbers down yeah, to that's two. Stupid. It's like well, and they're they're giving out awards during the commercial breaks. Yeah, like, do are we just trying to cut all entertainment value out of this out of this yeah. show? Well, Ehrlich, I mean, our our senior film critic David Ehrlich put it perfectly when he tweeted, "It's weird that the people making the Oscars hate the Oscars because, yeah. like, the the idea that the Oscars need to be shorter is." Is ludicrous. Yeah. The idea that they're bloated is what people talk about. It's it's that if it runs too <coughs> long because you're not good at providing entertainment, then that's a problem. But if it just runs long because you're enjoying the show and there's a lot happening, that's fine. That's why people are tuning in. Also, for the record, the categories that they're pro- they're awarding during the commercials are going to be the categories where invariably at least one of the two <coughs> great speeches of the night always comes from those categories. Like. You know, it's the sound mixing guy who just like breaks down entirely, or like the you know for best short foreign film, uh, uh, foreign language short film award winner. Like th- those people, those people oftentimes make the most am- have make the most amazing award show moments. Yeah. And I'd like to track exactly how we got onto this conversation. We went from so, us calling Chris Pine a snack to you not being sure about the use of the word snack. To us talking about Andy Samberg at the Golden Globes, to then talking about hosting at the Oscars. I feel like pretty good recall. Yeah, it, it's my I mean, short-term memory would have, <laughs> did not provide those answers. Yeah, I feel like it's a shorter chain of events than I was expecting. Yeah, it um, was a lot smoother than some of our other transitions. But. Yeah, we should probably it probably would be interesting to do an entire episode about just us bitching about the Oscars. But you know, I mean, it's coming. The Oscars are going to happen. Yeah, so it might be too late but we'll we'll figure it out it's it's one of those things where once we get to kind of the week of it might just be worth talking about all right so these are all the things they did wrong and this is what the telecast needs to do and then we'll see if they follow through on it um but uh i mean it's not like we're short on award shows to discuss there's so many guys so many award shows indeedy um but yeah i mean will will i am the night make an appearance at one of those award shows (laughs) Nailed it. Um, <laughs> hey, look, the alienist showed up for Emmy's morning. God, I, and every fucking thing after that for God knows what reasons. Like, how did it keep getting nominated for things? I don't understand. TNT's got the magic. TNT they, wins. They, they must have, like, put on those parties for every individual voter. I don't, wow. <laughs> I mean, they know, uh, I, the alienist uh, premiere party was really good. I went to that last year. It, I will never forgive the alienist for taking Twin Peaks spot at the Emmys like that. Was it Twin Peaks spot? Yes. Yes. (laughs) There weren't any other contenders? I'm sure there were, but I don't give a shit. (laughs) They took Twin Peaks spot. Like, that's just absurd. Sure. Nine. It got nine other nominations. Yeah. I just. (laughs) But. (laughs) 
let's let let's 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 move on. Then what was the best thing you watched last week? I mean, the best thing I watched last week was probably Broad City. Um, but I think I talked about that last week, or at least maybe that was the thing I was looking forward to. But uh, I'm I, I mean I'm gonna stick with it because Broad City's great mm-hmm. and it can't really get enough shoutouts. Um, I really love what they're doing in this final season. Like they they recognize the reason to end it, and they're they're not overstretching. Like they're not they're not trying to provide closure or finality to storylines um, that doesn't seem needed they're just trying to progress things to a point where you know on screen it will make sense why they're moving forward like why this is a good place to stop telling these stories for now and um they're also doing it in a really kind of creatively exciting way and i i I, i've always loved the show it's something that you know just just brings so much joy when you watch it and uh there's so much to admire from their end as storytellers and what they want to do for their stories uh in this final season it, it's been great so um broad city i think it airs thursdays on comedy central at 10 um yeah check it out yeah and check out the uh, i'll throw in a shout i i endorsed uh, the other two last week mm-hmm. and uh that's its follow-up and you should also watch that um, yeah. ben needs to get on that i know i will yes yeah there's a few i've already missed out on and it's only january Yay! Well, to be uh, fair, you we're it. There, it's not like it's not like the time reset and we got like a fr- clean slate of shows. We weren't. We, I don't know. All the 2018 shows are are gone. Are gone. There's no point in catching up on them now. Like <laughs> they're they, dead to us. They're they're gone. So gotcha. So. Um, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I didn't talk about it two weeks ago because I was under embargo still, and I didn't talk about it last week because I decided to talk about the other two. Uh, but for the rest of my day today, I am writing about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and trying not to cry in the office at how good the finale ending is. This is the last; these are the last episodes of the show. There may be more. Uh, there may be like a follow-up movie of some sort. There, uh, the when I talked to I an interview with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock should be up on the site as you listen to this. And at one point, I asked them directly, like there was talk about a follow-up movie, and they were told we've been told to be coy about it. Um, so, for right now, anyway, Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has an ending, an an ending. Uh, it is a beautifully executed, thematically perfect way to end the show. The lead up to the rest to it is a little rushed, but the back half of the season is easily superior, far superior to the first half of the season. If you were disappointed by that at all, but the first half of the season also dovetails really nicely into the back half of the season actually i kind of feel like splitting it is a maybe a bad is maybe a bad thing i would almost recommend watching it if you miss if you didn't watch season four when it premiered last may just watch the whole thing now it's almost like their intentions for splitting the season in half weren't purely driven by creative another thing that tina fey says in this interview is that uh it is a crime that it is a crime that titus burgess has not won an emmy and so if I mean, that, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I also hated what they did last year to, to get in there for Emmy consideration. So, yes, dual year Emmy, Emmy consideration. So it is it is it, it was a bit of dirty pool, but also it's a crime that Titus Burgess doesn't have an Emmy. So yeah. whatever it takes. This is war, Ben. Fair. This means oh, I was like. I was going to be this like, means just like the, Chris Pine. Exactly. You, you were Terrible right. movie. Yes. Terrible, <laughs> terrible film. The worst thing that 
could ever have happened for Chris Pine <laughs> and Tom, and Tom Hardy. Hardy to be in a movie together. Like, if you just said they're in a movie together, whatever you imagine from that statement is better than that movie. God, that thing was terrible. <laughs> How dare you speak of McG that way? Oh, McG. Should have just stuck to producing the OC, my man. Yeah. Anyways, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, well, I'm looking forward to a number of things I have to review for uh, Sundance uh, in terms of the indie episodic, you know, the, the, the kind of independent TV pilots that they're showing at the fest, um, as well as some of the um, premieres that they're hosting there. But uh, honestly, uh, I'm just going to use this time to talk about something that I know Liz has already seen but can now uh, vocally endorse and that I'll be reviewing for later in the week. Uh, Netflix. Russian Doll is yeah. getting some very good early buzz, um, and I believe it all started with Liz Shannon Miller, you know, privately telling a couple of folks that, hey, this is really good. So um, I'm I very take... much looking forward to seeing the end of it. I know we've already talked about it on the yeah. podcast as well, but... Um, we talked about the fact we couldn't talk about it. Exactly. Right. So uh, now we will be able to talk about it because it'll be out uh, Friday, February 1st, oh, and... Um, you know that's exciting. Like let's let's have some. I mean that that's at least like three premieres that people are really stoked about this year. Yeah. Like uh, the other two was has gotten really other, good. Other two new was I think buzz. like a nice stealth like reveal. Like I think it well, was. I don't really think people knew. I don't think people were expecting this to be something. No, great it, other it, than it, you know. I think I was expecting. Like I mean I think Comedy Central's like show Comedy Central's original programming has always been like surprisingly more nuanced than it might, it might get credit for. Like, I think people kind of look at it, paint it all with, like, the workaholics brush. But a lot of those shows, like, really do celebrate the independent voices of their creators. Uh, and the other two is no exception. Like, it's a really, it's a far more, it is definitely a Comedy Central show co-created by a guy who made a really heartfelt dramedy about his dying mom uh, that, w- that did very well at Sundance. Yeah, well, I mean... The problem with Comedy Central shows has never been the shows themselves. Right. Like, it's, you know, it's how you were able to watch yeah, them. Broad City, Detroiters, Workaholics, yeah. the other two. Like, all of these are, are very good. It's just people got to be able to watch them. So, um, But, no, anyway, I'm I'm very excited to see Russian Doll, and yeah. uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting is Viacom just bought a company called Pluto TV, I believe, um, and they are a web distributor, and... The theory is that, you know, Pluto TV might, the technology that Pluto TV uses might start being used to distribute more Viacom shows, including Comedy Central shows. So that could be good. It might be a new, better ad-supported way for Viacom to get in on that business and for people to be able to watch the very good shows that they make. Unless they're free and commercial-free or provided by another giant streaming service, then... Good luck. <laughs> Fair I don't enough. buy it. But Liz, please share some good news about what the next thing you're looking forward to might be. Well, um, I'm going. You know, speaking of things that are go- happening at Sundance, uh, one one of my one of the shows I need to check out this weekend is Star's uh, new uh, Gregoraki comedy. Um, I guess comedy called Now Apocalypse. Uh, not to be confused with Apocalypse Now, has has uh, as has happened in at least one editorial meeting here at IndieWire so far. No, no, we didn't get it confused with the movie. We just mixed up the title. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just, it's one of those, I'm, I'm mentioning it because it's kind of one of these nice experiences where complete blank slate. 
I know very, very little about the show, except that it's going to be on Stars. And Greg Garaki, who's an established indie filmmaker with a lot of charm and weirdness to his work, uh, is behind it. And look, at, and uh, oh, and uh, Walt Jr. from Breaking Bad is in it. Those are the things I know about this show. Uh, but, but so this is a nice this is a nice period of time. It's always nice to enjoy like the 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 anticipation of maybe this is my new favorite show or maybe this is an all right show that I'll recommend to people down the line. And also, I'm just going to say it. that come out? February? Uh, March, I think. Is it March? I okay. think it's March. Ways off. But it's also premiering at Sundance, and they'll be doing a TCA panel. So it's just always happening. Uh, and I'm also just going to say it, Ben. Uh, I'm going to watch more I Am The Night. I like that. I, I like Pine. I'm going to, I'm going to, enjoy, I'm going to, you know, enjoy me some pine. I think it's episode four. When, it does, when he does the, th- <laughs> no, <laughs> when he does the thing that I haven't specified, which okay. isn't really a spoiler. I just, it now has turned into something, but anyway, yeah, don't, it's don't, fine. At this point, don't tell me. I want to be surprised by the, th- I want to be able to figure out if I can figure out the thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you will. That'll be cool. And you'll be able to read all about I Am The Night and more on IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And please make sure to listen to IndieWire's other wonderful podcasts, including the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, which I believe is live from Sundance this week, which is very exciting. Um, Part of the IndieWire, what is it? The house we have there? uh, The studio. IndieWire IndieWire Studio. Studio. Um, like studio to presented to... by Dropbox. Um. There we go. <laughs> we'll get that ad money yet. Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, make sure to check that one out. And uh, I know Chris O'Fault, the perfect, the generous, the wonderful, the uh, magnanimous, is already at Sundance, uh, interviewing and talking to and watching everything to prepare for another year of excellent filmmaker toolkit podcast. So. Uh, don't miss that. He has wonderful conversations with people who are almost as wonderful and smart as him. So, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, Perfect plug, Ben. I know. Thank you. Yeah. Someday, I'm going to just create a supercut of all of your worship of Chris O'Fall. It's going to be an hour long. It's going to be redundant. I feel like I don't have enough adjectives. Like, I need more. I need, a, I need like, a bank that I can just pull out of it. Like, I have a hat and just pull out a... And all of the like, all of the words will apply to Chris. Yeah, I'll I'll choose them specifically for him in advance, but then I can divvy them up a little bit more, you know, right. over the course of the year. Um, so, like it's like I said, we are not only are we going to be at TCH for the next two episodes, but that includes episode <laughs> two hundred, uh, which we still need to figure out what we're doing exactly for it, aside from requesting treats. That's gonna be. Will we be at TCA? Yeah. Well, we're recording it at TCA. Will we? Yeah, yeah. we will. Yeah. So yeah. Um, if anyone has any ideas for what we should do for our 200th episode, anything you'd like us to try out, um, feel free to hit us up on the Twitters or on at Liz at IndieWire.com. Don't email Ben at oh, Ben at IndieWire.com, but I'm going to say his email anyway. So I don't want to know. He'll still get the message. I don't need your ideas. <laughs> you have. You don't have any of your own, though. I don't, but I don't need yours. I mean, you, the people who I want to hear from, they have my number. They can text me. Great. Um, so, but we are going to try to do something special for it. So, mm. TBD. Mm. We got to do something. What? I don't know. I, it's something worthy of me getting sent a treat. You're not getting treats. I, I you am, haven't gotten rid of a damn thing in this office yet. I'm doing it today. Let's, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to do it today. I would have done it this morning, except, like, you know, the... 
WordPress was a jerk. I've heard that before. WordPress being a jerk? That's yeah. I'm rarely something I use as, as an excuse. I heard it this morning. <laughs> God almighty. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. Uh, and in the meantime, though, you know what you should do? Is you should keep watching television. Thank you.